You're listening to DraftKings Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mean, lots of travel last week. I was down in Miami. You were out in the Bay. But we got to run this back. Every week, baby. We got to make sure we get this show on time. Every week here on Basketball Illuminati. You hear what Pat Riley said in his presser? He's got to run it back, too. I run it back with my wife every week. Now, do you guys have him, like, Stugatz on a Sunday looking for some action and then running it back the next following Sunday? Pat Riley doesn't look for action. It comes to him, man. I don't know, man. I feel like there's one place where being Pat Riley coolness ends and he's got to actually offend <laughs> for himself. It's got to be there, right, with his wife? It's going to be in the bedroom? Yeah. He's a mere mortal. I don't know. He just challenged reporters to do push-ups. I was talking about this with Evan Cohen on the radio. I was like, Izzy Gutierrez must not have been in the room. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. Izzy would put him to shape. Yeah. He'd still be going. Pat Riley would have gone home, gotten his car, driven back to his place on South Beach, and Izzy would still be pounding out those push-ups. Wouldn't even know when they started because he'd just been doing push-ups the whole time during the press conference. I've seen him in the back of the room. I'm 77 years old. And right now I can do more push-ups than you can do right now. If you want to go to, if you want to go to the mat, let's go. Shirts off. Shirts off, Riley. <laughs> My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. Hey, you've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> my, my eyes are... You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Well,
Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm joined by my five-star, six-star, seven-star, we're going to keep it going, Illuminati Generals, Amin El Hassan, and producer Anthony Mays. This is the finals. And we're not holding back. We're running it back. We've got a huge interview with Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. He's going to talk about the game within the game, or I guess I should say the larger picture. He's going to peel back the curtain on agencies and three letters, CAA, and how it all fits in with the Utah Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, and how this story is being manipulated in the media. But this is the finals. Mm. we got to talk about something in particular with the finals. We'll get to Andy soon, but first... are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin El-Hassan. On The Agenda today, Amin Mays, we've been covering referees all show long. Since day one, the OGs of the Illuminati. We've been running it back week after week, Tom. Because it's the unspoken thing that everyone in the league talks about, the coaches talk about, the executives talk about, the players talk about. It's not unspoken. It's very spoken, actually, the way you just put it there. But you know what it is? Is that nobody is holding these people accountable, Tom. That's the difference Mm. until a little podcast known as Basketball Illuminati came on the scene determined to expose all of the inaccuracies and all of the inconsistencies happening within all of basketball. But of course, one of those areas is officiating. And it started with episode one. I strongly urge everybody, look, man, Basketball Luna is not your regular podcast Mm. where it's like, oh, were they talking about like Bucks versus what? No, man, our stuff is evergreen. Go back and take a listen. All of those episodes are there. They've got the information. They've got the knowledge and they are evergreen. And this episode we have today, Tom, I think is going to add another one to that tally. Green, you say? Evergreen. Evergreen or Draymond Green? Hmm, that's a technicality, Tom. Speaking of technicalities, <laughs> we got a technicality, a technical snafu, a technical controversy, or if you're Chris Whittingham, you might call it a controversy here with the Draymond Green antics in game two, where he gets teed up initially for getting tussled up with Grant Williams. And then in the second quarter, Draymond Green finds himself with his legs on top of Jalen Brown on a three-point contest. How'd that happen? Who knows? It's just random. You feel the tension? A little tension. (laughs) Not only that, the tension continues because Draymond Green trying to get up as Jalen Brown stands over him pulls down Jalen Brown's shorts, Mm. pulls them down. So much tension happening in the NBA Finals. And they get up and they jaw at each other. And so many weird things happen here at Mean Maze, one of which is that Marcus Smart was pulling Draymond Green back. Did you guys notice that? No, I didn't. It's a smart move. I say it's the not smart move, Maze. Mm. You can't pull back Draymond Green. He's got one technical. Let him go. Instigate further. Throw the gasoline onto the fire and have Draymond Green accost Jalen Brown because, hey, he can jaw at the referees. He can put legs on top of other players. He can pull down their shorts. If he throws a punch at Jalen Brown, he's out of there. There's no way, right? You say there's no way, but 
based on all of the conjecture and the speaking by all the multiple parties involved around this, you got me wondering, would they eject him? The reality is, is that makes sense. Like, you know, people want to try to make it out to be a controversy. That makes sense. Like, nobody's paying to watch this stuff to see guys get thrown out of the game and you not see the game you want to watch. Like, and so I understand and agree. Like, yes, if there is something egregious, I'm going to get thrown out, as we know. I, I, nobody's sparing me. Nor do I expect to get spared, nor do I want to be spared. But if it's something that's not egregious, probably shouldn't get thrown out of a game. So I had no clue that people thought I was even that close to being thrown out. Um, because I don't, play, I don't play the game worried about getting thrown out or not. I play the game ultimately chasing the level of physicality that I want the game to be at. And however you got to get that done, you get that done. So... I never goes into it or after my first tech, like, oh, man, I got to tread carefully or walk lightly just to stay in the game. Like, because if I'm going to tread carefully and walk lightly, then I may as well get thrown out anyway. Because that's not going to help my team win. So I have to be me for my team. And, of course, this comes on the hill. You told me this. I didn't even know this happened, Tom, because I was at the game. On the broadcast, they brought on Steve Javi, who pretty much – confirmed that yeah like the refs keep this in mind they certainly do a technical is a technical is a technical right until you have a technical you have to consider one player has definitely a technical foul is this enough to call a double t and eject the one player personally i would say nothing and i would just let it diffuse as that that's just my opinion well steve my question to you is as a referee over there in the huddle are you thinking about the fact that draymond has one technical already Absolutely. I think that's part of good officiating is the fact that you have to know who has the technical fouls. And in this situation, one of the players does. Is this enough to warrant an ejection is what you have to think about. In the handbook, in the official guidebook or the manual for officiating, there's nothing in the rule book that says, hey, there's a higher bar for the second technical than the first technical. A technical is a technical is a technical until Steve Javi went on the broadcast and broke the code. <laughs> he broke the code. Guy comes in and whacks him across the head in midair. He broke the code. He said the thing. Code breakers. Referees don't want you to talk about, which is certain players will get preferential treatment in certain circumstances. First of all, as I told you in the post game the other night, I'm glad Steve Javi said that. I'm glad that he did his job as an analyst rather than just continue this thin zebra line, as they say protecting the referees and say, no, 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 we call it the same every way. It doesn't matter who, doesn't matter when, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the line they've been feeding us all along. And Steve Javi took a stand. He said, I'm going to tell you the truth. Mm. I'm going to stand up and tell you how it exactly is, how it really is. And this guy is decorated, as we've told you in episodes past of Basketball Illuminati. Tom, how do we know who the NBA thinks are their best referees? It's the ones that are in the finals. It's the ones that they put as the leader of the crews in the regular season. And if you track this, Steve Javi been in many, many NBA finals. The NBA loves Steve Javi as an official, as indicated by how many times you see him at the biggest stage. 23 NBA finals games for Steve Javi. Jordan. Yep. Keep third eye open. This is creme de la creme of NBA refereeing. And he's telling you guys, not what you want to hear, not what you'd like to hear, what you need to hear is that, yes, they take it into consideration. Now, I push back on one thing that you said, Tom. You said they keep in mind who 
It is. I don't think it's the who. I think it's the circumstance. The what? The what? Whomst? It's not that Draymond Green is immune. It's that a player with one technical foul is not going to get ejected in that scenario, which I think we all know. The irony is this is what I love about these types of thought processes, what the mainstream wants us to talk about, what the mainstream wants us to obsess over, is that, hey, if there's a game and it's tied and it's coming towards the end and player X has the ball 30 feet away from the basket and the clock is winding down and as he turns around to see what his coach just said, player Y is defending him and tries to poke the ball away. Misses, get some arm, but the ball is not dislodged. The guy is not thrown off balance. All of us would say, you can't call that. You can't have the game decided at the free throw line. Let the players decide. People say this all the time. Mm. What just happened here is we had a referee said, yeah, I'm going to let the players decide. I'm not going to change the complexion of this game and indeed this series over a technicality. I'm going to let it slide and let the players decide. And everyone lost their mind. I want to say bravo to you, Steve Javi, for being a truth teller. Yeah, and I think when you look at this statement by Steve Javi, I wonder, does the NBA like this? Does the NBA call up Steve Javi and say, you can't say that on air because we have a rule book and nothing in the rule book says this. And you can't say that we're giving Draymond Green or players more leeway after that first technical. Because what happens here, I mean, is... We decide, all right, well, if Draymond has one technical and he's not going to get thrown out, then Draymond is going to continue to berate the referees and continue to do the wrapping of arms and pulling down of pants and kicking in. You know what? We're not going to go back to that and relitigate the crotch shots. But you know what I'm saying? Now he's going way over the top because he knows he's not going to get thrown out. Well, that's the whole thing, Tom. Draymond's got a little bit of finals experience here that the Celtics don't Mm. necessarily have. He's familiar with how the circumstances might change. You said a technical is a technical is a technical. Not in the finals, baby. Draymond didn't just poke the bear. He's playing poker with the bear. He pushed all his chips in the table. He went all in. And guess what? The NBA refs, they folded. No tech. He's still in the game. And that just gives him more leeway to cause havoc and get inside the Celtics' heads. You got to know when to fold him. Know when to hold him. Know when to rock away till I'm thrown out. (laughs) You know what? I think you're right. When you actually look at the numbers, what's interesting, you know Draymond Green. He's won championships. Defensive player of the year, very much looks after his books. He knows the math. He said it in the Memphis series. Ah, ah. I flipped the bird to the audience in the Memphis series, and I don't really care. You know why? Because I make $25 million a year. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I kind of feel like Draymond is flying a little too close to the sun. Oh. The establishment doesn't like to be taunted. Some of the stuff, he's pulling back the curtain a little too quickly. Now, we have a privilege here at Basketball Loon. I mean, we can do this because we exist outside of the purview of the establishment. Draymond's still in the establishment. Mm. I don't know how much longer he can get away with this. So my question to you guys, game three is going to be tonight. What are the odds you think Draymond gets ejected in game three or game four? Much higher. Much higher. Much higher. He is poking the bear. He is Icarus flying way too close to the sun here. Look, let's be clear here. Draymond Green has done the math, not just on the finances of getting a technical. He's fine with paying the fine. 
He's fine with the fine. Damn fine. He's fine with it. But I'll tell you what else he's fine with. Doing those antics and getting himself tussled up with Jalen Brown contesting that three right in front of which ref was it? Zach Zarba. Uh-huh. Remember that name, Zach Zarba. Zach Zarba, he's a five-pointer, right, on our referee scale that we unveiled? Five-star ref, 5.0 in the regular season, meaning he was the crew chief. Exactly. That's not our assessment of Zach Zarba. That is the NBA's assessment of Zach Zarba. He has been a crew chief in every game this season that he has officiated, and only a very select few get that kind of honor and trust those stripes from the NBA. But one thing about Zach Zarba, beyond the fact that he's extremely good looking, is he almost never tees people up. Hmm. Are you just guessing this, or do you have some sort of data, some sort of research that you might have performed on your own? to support this claim? Oh, it is not my research. I actually looked this up because someone else looked it up. Hmm. At NBA Ref Stats on Twitter, my guy posted a couple weeks ago the technical foul call leaders among referees. I'm going to read you the top 10, I mean, Mays, and you tell me if a certain name is absent from that list, okay? Okay. Number one, David Guthrie, 43 techs. James Williams, 41 techs. Eric Lewis, 32 techs. Tony Brothers, 31. Sean Wright, 31. Ben Taylor, 29. Jason Goble, 26. Kane Fitzgerald, 25. Josh Tiven, 24. And Natalie Sago, 24. That's the top 10. I didn't hear Zach Zarba's name in there. You didn't. Even though he's officiated 60 plus games in the regular season, he does not even come close. David Guthrie, 43 techs in the regular season, and only one other guy is above 35. That is a lot of technical fouls. Do not get on David Guthrie's bad list. Here's another stat I want to throw at you, courtesy of at NBA Ref Stats on Twitter. The 2022, I mean, foul call standings among the 60 NBA referees who are qualified minimum 41 games officiated. Zach Zarba, foul calls frequency. How many foul calls he makes per 48 minutes. I'm not talking about the foul calls in the game while he's on the game. Right. His own whistle calling the fouls. Of those 60 referees, he ranks 42nd. Whoa. 42nd. In Oakland, in the Bay Area, they love this two-shirt song. In the case of Zach Zarba, he's swallowing the whistle. Short also liked it when you did that. Not a lot of 5.0 refs on here in that lower section of foul calls. Zach Zarba, crew chief, doesn't call a lot of fouls, doesn't call a lot of texts. And just coincidentally, he's standing there on the floor next to Draymond Green and isn't going to tee him up there and goes to the replay center and does not give him the double tech. Okay, devil's advocate here. He doesn't. But surely the Celtics can count on one of the other refs to make a call, right? Here's the thing. Boston fans need no reminder. I mean. Reminder of what? Tony Brothers. Oh, I'm sorry. I hadn't picked up on any sort of tension or rip between Tony Brothers and the city of Boston. Could you could you go into some detail there? On the brothers or brothers? What do you say? <laughs> oh. Brothers in Boston? What could be wrong with that? Here are the stats of the Boston Celtics in the playoffs since 2015 with Tony Brothers officiating. You ready for this one? In 15 games with Tony Brothers officiating, the Boston Celtics are not a winning team. They're not even 500. They're not even close to 500, not even close to 300. In fact, the Boston Celtics in the playoffs with Tony Brothers officiating since 2015 are 3-12. and 12. Now, you might say, wait a minute. 
What if they were just the underdog in all of those games? Well, against the spread, which is adjusting for opponent, right. the Boston Celtics are 3-11-1. There's a push in there where it's exactly on the spread. Wow. 3-11-1. And I dare posit this too. If you watch the game and chart all the foul calls that Tony Brothers had made against the Celtics and against the Warriors, he only whistled three times foul calls against the Golden State Warriors. They had 17 foul calls. Only three of them were whistled by Tony Brothers and five were whistled against the Celtics. Now, I'm just saying, if the Celtics fans were upset about the foul calls and the distribution and the text in game two, just wait. You know Scott Foster's lurking. You know he is. The Extender! Or maybe the Ejector. The Ejector, Scott Foster in game three. But hold on, isn't Scott Foster have his own history with the Golden State Warriors? <laughs> it's all getting so confused. It's almost like there's a game within the game, boys. There is. And you know what? When Ime Adoka, when he got his technical, who made that technical? It wasn't Zach Zara, but it was Josh Tiven. And it's not like Tony Brothers raced in and said, oh, you can't give him a technical. And you know who was the guy who issued the technical on Draymond? It wasn't Tony Brothers. No, Tony Brothers was talking Draymond down afterwards. And it wasn't Zach Zarba either because he doesn't call technicals. So Draymond knows this, I mean, He's a smart guy. Draymond knows where the line is. He's playing the odds is what's happening here, ladies and gentlemen. And it's not guessing. It's educated guessing, right? The idea is that he, like a Vegas gambling shark, can make a series of decisions that are based on the probabilities that would, to the naked eye, appear to be reckless behavior, but in actuality is a very calculated decision to walk the tightrope, nay, ride the tightrope on a unicycle. Wait, Amin, are you saying that this whirling dervish Tasmanian devil of elbows and knees running into people plowing through opponents to create space, that this is all an act? I'm telling you that there's a method to the madness. We're going to see if Scott Foster, who's been a very friendly referee in terms of record and against the spread with the Warriors. Mays, I know you're rooting for that. You want to see Scott Foster there in game three. I love Scott Foster. What can I say? Everybody else hates him. I love his Ciroc commercial. I think it's fantastic. He deserves more attention. He's not going to miss the final stage. It's Scott Foster. We've gotten Zach Zarba. We got Tony Brothers. We got Josh Tiven in game two. We got Mark Davis, John Goble, and James Williams in game one. I think it's going to be Eric Lewis or Scott Foster here in game three, and we'll see what happens. But basically, Draymond Green knows where the line is, and he knows Zach Zarba, what his stats are. He knows Mark Davis. He knows it all. What's important here is that all that referee stuff, it's always in the backdrop. Executives talk about it. Players talk about it, but we're bringing it to the spotlight. We're bringing it out to the open because it's part of the game. Very much part of the storyline. So, Tom, you know, it's funny because we just got done talking about the game within the game, the officiating and the way the players are playing, the way Draymond Green's behaving. There's all types of subtext and subplots that go beyond what the naked eye sees, which is just they're playing a basketball game and this guy called a foul and this guy didn't call a second technical foul, right? Right. The subplots don't stop just on the court, Tom. Sometimes it bleeds into not only transactions, but how transactions are reported to the general public. 
That's right, ladies and gentlemen. There's a game within a game there as well. And there's no better player in that game to discuss this with us and the latest of what's happening this week than Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune. He joins us next. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity in the grave lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. Keeps them up nice. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. Man, do we have a great truth teller on tap today. It's Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. He's not afraid to tell the truth. I mean, we had to lock him in once he started reporting out this Quinn Snyder, connecting the dots with Donovan Mitchell and who's reporting what. And we finally got him after lots of time trying to snag him. We got him. <laughs> I love whenever I see an intrepid journalist take that step back and say, wait a second, what's the big picture here? connecting the dots, as you said, Tom, making sense of the collage, because each individual little image is, oh, Quinn Snyder is quitting. Oh, you know, Donovan Mitchell is surprised. Oh, but you take a step back and you realize, oh, no, this makes a cohesive, larger picture. And Andy Larson did an amazing job with this column of nudging people's vision towards seeing this, this, well, I don't want to call it conspiracy, but definitely this coordination of efforts behind three little letters, C-A-A. Look, none of it makes sense unless you think about the bigger picture, right? The reports don't make sense in their own little vacuum. That's where the Illuminati stuff starts happening, right? Is you're just like, wait a second. Why is ESPN coming out with a random Quinn Snyder report midweek at 10 p.m.? Mm -hmm. Why is the Donovan Mitchell surprised report coming out after this has been reported for months and months? It just all comes together if you kind of make sense of it. So here's your tweet from Sunday. To spell out the situation, CAA representative Donovan Mitchell had CAA represented Adrian Wojnarowski release that he was, quote, surprised and disappointed, end quote, about Quinn's departure. In parentheses, something that's been rumored for months, exactly zero people are surprised, end parentheses, so that CAA represented Johnny Bryant can get the job. If the Jazz front office say, hey, we want to decide who the coach is, even if it doesn't please you, then Woj can release a further statement about how Donovan is even further unsettled, and they can use it as a pretext to try to leave Utah. It's a power play. Donovan has a lot of power. And then he wrote a column mentioning that all these cooks are from the same kitchen. When you tweet out the whole CAA agency backdrop of this situation, 
Are you surprised that people don't realize that agencies are pulling some strings and that there are connections here? You know, I don't think so because I don't think a lot of sports media talks about and, you know, I certainly didn't before even yesterday who the players are and what their connections are. Mm -hmm. Adrian Wojnarowski is a great reporter, but he's not declaring his conflict of interest here in these articles, right? Like he's not saying, hey, by the way, I'm also represented by CAA here, just like Donovan Mitchell is just like jazz head coach candidate Johnny Bryant is. It's not mentioned at all. So I think a lot of fans are surprised that guys like Woj maybe even have agents and then that they are kind of in the same picture as the biggest names in the league. You know, I think most fans know that player agents are a thing, right? Like that's been the case for decades. Mm -hmm. But I think some fans are even surprised assistant coaches have agents and that it all comes together in that picture. It is fascinating because on the most basic level of conflict of interest is the idea that you are privy to news that others would not be privy to. But the most diabolical level of this is you are, in essence, creating news or reporting news to influence events. That's an allegation that has followed Adrian throughout his career, certainly on the national level, that he's not just merely breaking news. He's influencing events to benefit those who are on his team. Now, in the past, that was people that helped him with scoops, right? If I give you this information, you're going to look out for me on the back end. But since his representation by CAA, the insinuation, or at least the belief is that it goes beyond personal favors, which you could argue that every big time newsbreaker has that kind of thing. A guy in this front office or a coach on this staff who's his guy or whatever. Now it escalates to a point of where it's almost company policy, it feels like. Yeah, and that's hard. You remember back in the day when Woj was saying LeBron James would come to the Detroit Pistons because he was getting info from Joe Dumars, right? <laughs> we all know LeBron was not going to Detroit. But you're right that this is kind of an evolution of that. And I'm a small time beat writer in Salt Lake City, right? Like my job's not important and no one really cares about me. But we do. It is frustrating. We do. Thank you. <laughs> it is frustrating kind of from that point of view of, hey, I'm trying to learn as much about the Utah Jazz as I can. I'm trying to develop these solid relationships. But I can't offer what Woj offers in terms of kind of this national audience and the ability to craft a narrative to that size of an audience. It's hard because the quid pro quo that has become reporting, I can't compete in a lot of ways. So in that way, kind of how I can compete, frankly, is to be revealing to fans, to kind of pull back the curtain, to say, hey, here is actually what is going on here. And hopefully serve the fan in that way rather than trying to spin a narrative that's been set up by an executive or somebody else. Why do you think it's unspoken? Even though everyone who works in our industry knows this stuff has happened. Why do you think it's so unspoken? Because what you wrote was not the norm. It's a little bit jarring, I would say, for people. Some of it is because people want to work at ESPN one day, right? Working at ESPN is a cool job and you get paid a lot and it's a bigger profile and all that. Obviously, making... Woj and ESPN or whoever the agencies are that are part of that, Happy is part of that. You know, I would also say being able to report news, I don't think that Donovan Mitchell's agent Ty Sullivan is going to be calling me for updates on Donovan Mitchell's next contract, for example, right? So developing and maintaining those relationships is really key. And, you know, especially when you're a one team beat reporter with a key star player, to do the job to the best that I can, I would like to have sources that can tell me what's up with Donovan Mitchell. Or I would like to have sources that can tell me what the Jazz are thinking at the trade deadline. Or even when they lose five games in a row in March, you know, it's kind of these day-to-day -day relationships. So 
I think that is part of it. And it is kind of tricky to figure that out as a beat writer. What's the balance between protecting your sources, developing those relationships, which is hard when you're talking smack on them, and reflecting the reality to your audience? Maybe I've just gone full Sith Lord on that. (laughs) I feel like at this point, hey, it's not like I am getting anything from CAA anyway. It's not like I am getting anything from Donovan's agent anyway. So at this point, let's just reflect what is actually going on and be a service in that way. So Andy, I want to ask you a little bit about the narrative that was crafted here, which Woj presented pretty quickly after we got the news about Quinn Snyder's exit. Hmm. And it's that Donovan Mitchell is unsettled. He's unnerved. What does the future hold for the Jazz for him? He just signed his max extension about a year and a half ago in 2020. So what does the future hold for the Jazz? What does the future hold for Donovan Mitchell? Before you answer that, Andy, I want to point out that in that report from Wojnarowski, the phrasing is all-star guard Donovan Mitchell is described as, quote, unsettled, unnerved, and wondering what it means for the franchise's future. Sources told ESPN on Sunday. Described by whom? Yeah. There's no name attached to this, and yet it's a very specific verbiage. Unsettled, unnerved and wondering what it means for the franchise's future. Doesn't say like his agent, doesn't say his mother, doesn't say his best friend. (laughs) It's just described as. It could be a rival executive, right? There's no actual credit here or sourcing beyond just described as. I just wanted to make that clear. And that's really important because, you know, if rival executive says it, if it's Leon Rose saying that at the Knicks, that's a very different story (laughs) than if it's Donovan Mitchell calling up Woj himself. So I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other thing that was surprising to me in that report was that Donovan was allegedly surprised by this idea that Quinn Snyder would be moving on when we've been talking about this since March. Guys like Mark Stein was really first on it, and we talked to Quinn a week later. The idea that he was surprised is ludicrous, frankly. Then it puts the rest of the report into question as well. Okay, so what is Donovan trying to really say when he's saying he's unsettled and unnerved? To me, it's pretty clear of like, hey, this is a initial step in either using his leverage as a star player and trying to influence who his next boss will be, or taking that next step to asking out, frankly, or making it uncomfortable on the Jazz to keep Donovan Mitchell in Utah for the remainder of his contract. That's how I read it, because I felt like if your intention was to be more involved in the selection process of the successor, one would think that the news story would be Donovan Mitchell is determined to make contact with the front office and with ownership to discuss what's next. But the unnerved and unsettled, it made me feel like you're at a party and you want to leave the party, but you don't know how how to give that graceful exit. And then something happens. Someone says, oh man, I, I forgot to pick up ice. I'll go, I'll go get the ice. <laughs> Whatever excuse it was to fully express what you really were feeling, which is I don't want to be here anymore. And so this idea that even though we knew for months that Quinn was on, I don't want to call it a hot seat, but probably not be long for that job. That, oh, this, I'm shocked. I had no idea. You know what? I don't know if I can be here with all these kind of surprises. That's how (laughs) I read it. It just felt like a very convenient exit ramp. And it's so quick too, right? Like an hour after the report of Quinn stepping down. So that adds to this idea that this is orchestrated in some way, that it's not just legitimate Donovan feelings as quickly as Woj could type it up. Maybe I'm naive, but I do think it is possible that this was mostly coaching leverage 
I don't really think that Donovan wants to be in Utah long term, to be clear. But I do think that he knows that he is under contract for the next three years. And I don't think that he frankly has the stomach to directly ask out. He is kind of known as the good guy, wants to keep his brand as kind of the positive role model leader for young kids, right? That's kind of what he's tried to do through Adidas and really has tried to do in Utah. And it's really hard to keep that image if you are asking for trades, frankly. So the other thing is, I agree it would be better for Donovan to go to the front office and say, hey, I would like a say in this, or maybe even release that he would go to the front office and have a say of this. But Donovan and the front office have not talked very much over this offseason. From what I had heard, they had significant disconnection over the three to four weeks after the end of the playoffs. Aggregators! Mauna. Obviously, if Donovan raises his hand and says something and says, hey, I'd like this, they're going to listen. But there's not a great relationship there right now. Did we just get a Larson arson here? Burn it down. <laughs> hey, Andy, can you talk about the evil empire with the New York Knicks and how they fit into this picture with CAA and Johnny Bryant and the swirling CAA connection with Donovan Mitchell. So it's really clear. Obviously, Leon Rose was kind of the head of CAA basketball side for a long time and, and now is the president of the Knicks or head basketball decision maker. And then, as you guys know, so many of their players are CAA clients. Their coaching staff, Tom Thibodeau, and really most of the way down are all CAA clients, including associate head coach Johnny Bryant, the lead assistant there. Johnny was also Donovan's player trainer in Salt Lake, was kind of his head player development coach. So yeah, that's definitely part of this story as well. And famously also, the Knicks management and Julius Randle came to the Jazz Mavericks, I believe it was game one of that series, to recruit a little bit. Now, they may have been recruiting Jalen Brunson, but they also may have been recruiting Donovan Mitchell too. The Knicks have been very clear about going after CAA clients first, and Donovan is kind of the big CAA guy who you can maybe move a little bit to a different market and frankly, get more revenue potential out of. What's the most realistic scenario for the Utah Jazz this summer? Because it seems like Donovan Mitchell is their guy to build around. They have the 2023 All-Star Game in Salt Lake City. D. Wade is obviously close with Donovan Mitchell, also a CAA executive, D. Wade. So it looks like Rudy Gobert might be the odd one out if they're going to choose one or the other to move. I think they're going to build around Donovan Mitchell for the star power heading into the All-Star weekend next year. Is this the new regime in Utah saying, all right, we're going to try this whole build around Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert thing again, or are they just going to decide, look, let's try Donovan Mitchell as the face of this franchise going forward. We got the All-Star break. Let's try to make him happy. Maybe it's Johnny Bryant. Maybe it's someone else that'll make him happy. But how do you see this playing out this summer? Is shopping the right word for what they're doing with Rudy Gobert? I'm not sure, but they are talking a lot of Rudy Gobert trades, you know? So I think they are very interested in moving him. I think, frankly, they know that that partnership is probably over and probably you can't have a cohesive locker room and cohesive chemistry moving forward with those two guys playing together, at least for the long term. I think you can kind of make it work for a short stretch like the Jazz did, but it's pretty clear that that relationship is strained. And so they're talking to the Toronto Raptors, they're talking to the Chicago Bulls, they're talking to a number of different other teams on whether or not they can get Rudy Gobert moved. And then there's the rest of the roster too. So I think they would be interested in moving on from Mike Conley, frankly, and giving Donovan the chance to frankly run the point and put three bigger wings around him and change how the Jazz have been running and get increased size, if you will, almost in some of the same ways that Danny Ainge built the Boston Celtics. Obviously, the Cleveland Cavaliers were mentioned as a possible destination for Mike Conley. 
Boyan Bogdanovich is reportedly, you know, a guy team are interested in is just like a terrific shooter and an all around score in a lot of different ways. I think he has some value on the market. And I think they would like to move Jordan Clarkson and Royce O'Neal. It's just kind of whether or not you can get value for them. Just everybody on the roster except for Donovan. It really is everybody. (laughs) Oh my God, we're having a fire sale. One last guy I'll mention is Rudy Gay signed the mid-level exception deal last year and then got a DNP CD in the playoffs, you know? So whether or not he has a role next year with the next coach is still definitely up in the air. It's everyone. Everyone's on the market. No one's untouchable. And what they can do to make this work is going to be really interesting. I think some of these guys have trade value and some of them don't. And you may have to package some of them together to retool around the next Jazz team. You got a couple names that you've brought up here that I wanted to ask further questions about. One of them is Danny Ainge, who we don't really know where he fits into this whole thing, the CAA relationship and all that. The other is Dwayne Wade. So where would you say that those two, their influence on the decision making happens? How do they potentially feel about what Donovan Mitchell is trying to engineer here? Dwayne Wade's an interesting one because he's in ownership. He is a minority owner of the Utah Jazz. So obviously his fiduciary relationship is to protect the Utah Jazz, but he also does have this deep personal relationship with Donovan Mitchell from his rookie season on. Dwayne's been fairly open about that, about like, hey, I'm going to be a mentor to Donovan and still try to play both sides of this. And I think he probably can, given that he is not the largest voice in the room necessarily because he is just a minority owner. Danny Ainge is the CEO and even the alternate governor of the team. So when team owner Ryan Smith is out, he's actually the one at the Board of Governors meetings. And he is the lead decision-making voice. He's above Justin Zanuck. He is going to be the guy scouring the trade market, trying to make these deals work. The Jazz have talked about being a very collaborative front office and getting all these different voices together and coming to an agreement on some of these decisions. But we also know that there are going to be disagreements at times, and then it's going to be really interesting to see. And I think the first time we'll see it is with this head coaching decision of like, hey, who does have the loudest voice? Who is making these decisions? Do the Jazz go with a Johnny Bryant CAA kind of client, or do they go with maybe a candidate with more head coaching experience. I think there's just a lot of different ways it could go. What was the vibe at the press conference today? It seemed odd to me that Quinn Snyder was there. I guess it was like a goodbye. He has a year remaining on his contract, so he's resigning, but it just seemed like an awkward fit there. Who was there and what was the vibe like? Everyone was there. The old ownership was there. Gail Miller, previous owner of the Jazz, previous team presidents, like everyone's family was there. It was very much like a goodbye press conference. It was like a funeral, honestly. (laughs) Say good stuff about Quinn Snyder and Quinn kind of explaining why he left a little bit, but mostly just trying to remember the good times. They even acknowledge that most teams wouldn't have this press conference. Yes. That it is a small market vibe to say, hey, thanks for the good times, Quinn. But that's what they did. And I do think that this was pretty amicable from Quinn to say, hey, I can't really get through to these guys anymore. His statement said, these guys need a new voice. And so for him to admit that, and then for the Jazz, when he took over, they were the worst team in the Western Conference. And two years ago, they were the best team in the NBA in the regular season. He did do a lot. And I think they did want to thank him for that publicly. So as the beat writer for the Jazz, what is the contract situation? Like, can he work for another team tomorrow? Or does he have to wait for the length of his deal? The Jazz could veto that. Hmm they still have his contract for next year. So what would happen is if he did want to coach another team next year, he probably would have to trade that contract. And the Jazz 
could realistically ask for like a second round pick in order to get it back. Or they could say, hey, you did a good job for us for eight years. We're just going to let you go. But he is still under contract and they do technically have that ability to trade him or to do something with that contract if they want. That's interesting. That's interesting, Tom. That puts a little wrench in the gears here because Andy did mention that they've been working on this Snyder Cut for a few months. (laughs) And I want to pick your brain about where he could be headed next because obviously he's a high quality coaching candidate. And most teams that are looking for someone with experience, that have done what you just described, taking a team that was worst in the conference to first, that's a very high accomplishment. So what are you thinking and factor in the potential of the Jazz blocking whatever move it is within a year? By far, the most likely thing that's going to happen here is Quinn just taking the year off and waiting to see what is out there next year. It would not shock me. I think, again, number one most likely thing that happens a year from now is he takes over for a retiring Greg Popovich in San Antonio. But I do think that that hasn't necessarily been decided yet. And he'll look around and see. Right now, it's kind of only Charlotte as far as teams that have openings. And I don't know that he's really interested in that job. And I think he legitimately does just need some time off. I mean, I think you've seen... Quinn Snyder's face changed over the last eight years in a way that is pretty reflective that this man could actually use some significant time away from basketball. Very similar to the before and afters of Obama. Yeah, no, for sure. That was the good comparison (laughs) that I saw. It's like being the president running the Utah Jazz. But I got to ask you, Andy, you've got to bring up easily our favorite ritual punching bag on this podcast. There's a certain situation simmering in the Atlantic Division. We've got a standoff between... A high-powered GM and a high-powered coach. And seems like Quinn Snyder might be another candidate to throw into the Sixers position. What do you think of that? I know Quinn respects the hell out of James Harden. Mm. I don't know if Daryl and Quinn have a previous relationship. I think Dennis Lindsay and Daryl have a relationship, if that matters. Yeah, because they both were in the Rockets franchise. Uh, I... I don't think that there was, yeah, I'm trying to think any like San Antonio Houston overlap. Um, but anyway, I don't know that Quinn and Daryl have anything, but I could be wrong on that. Quinn engineered a team, Andy, engineered a team offense to lead the league in three point shooting, right? Yeah. <laughs> Daryl is the godfather of Maury Ball in three point shooting, and James Harden is also a very instrumental figure in that revolution in the NBA. Quinn Snyder would be a logical choice if. Mike D'Antoni goes to Charlotte, maybe, or if that job goes to Kenny Atkinson and and Doc Rivers stands off, he wins and he's like, nope, I'm not going anywhere because I want my money. Then maybe he waits until next year and Quinn Snyder takes over as the young Mike D'Antoni. I don't know. Just connecting some dots. I think that's plausible. I think it really could depend on what the Sixers do this year. For me, Quinn stepped down from this job because he didn't like anything about what it had become. What Quinn enjoys about coaching basketball is A, the player development stuff of getting a group of guys together and getting them to be good basketball players and kind of what he did with the Jazz. And then the coaching X's and O's, the chess game, right? Figuring out how you actually become the number one three-point shooting team in the league and how do you actually win the analytics battle. And if the Sixers are stagnant as they have been over the last few years in terms of maybe not player personnel like the Jazz have, but placement in the Eastern Conference and obviously in the playoffs, then maybe that's less appealing. 
it may be a better fit for him to coach an up-and-coming team or a team with a direction, if that makes sense. But the Sixers really could be that next year. Who knows? Andy, I wanted to ask, given what you just said about Quinn and why now is the time to step down, seems like very compartmentalized to the actual coaching job reasoning, right? The intellectual pursuit of not connecting with the guys as he once was. But like we did earlier, I'd like to take a step back and take a look at the picture. And the picture is that the Utah Jazz are a team that changed ownership about 18 months ago, August of 2020. And then at the beginning of this season here in November of 2021, they got a new chief basketball decision maker. How much did that factor in? That the people who were responsible for hiring him were no longer around. This is new management in essence. Yeah, you know, I think probably a little bit. It was funny, as soon as the press conference ended today, he went over and gave Gail Miller, the owner who hired him, a big hug. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of his priority. Hey, it's good to see you again. And thank you so much for everything you've done for me. I don't know that Quinn and Ryan Smith had a bad relationship. I don't know that Quinn and Danny Ainge had a bad relationship. But it is just different. Danny Ainge will have different expectations. He might have different expectations about when he can be in the locker room or when he can be in the film room than previous front offices. I think that could have played a role in terms of, okay, I've kind of worked my way up to get this much stature in my situation. Now that I have a new boss, that kind of puts that all in jeopardy. And we've all had new bosses come in at different times. It changed the culture and not in necessarily a bad way, but in a way that maybe you're not really vibing with anymore. Mm. And I think that could have been what happened here. But to be honest, I do just think it is mostly the relationship building stuff isn't the stuff that Quinn is excited. You know, he's not Phil Jackson. He's not trying to give books to all of his players. <laughs> he's trying to win basketball games through consistent improvement. And that's not where this Jazz team was. And there was an interesting article, our columnist at the Salt Lake Tribune, Gordon Monson, talked to him yesterday. And he said, essentially, I couldn't find a path forward with this team. There was no way for this team to like improve and get better. All the role players are old. Donovan and Rudy are what Donovan and Rudy are. Rudy's turning 30 in June. It's hard to imagine this iteration of the Jazz becoming a real championship contender. Sounds to me, Andy, like Quinn saw the writing on the wall and he's just trying to get out of there before they property brothers this thing, get some new crown molding, maybe knock down a wall to open up the space. It's going to be a full remodel. And we know how Danny Ainge operates. He's going to keep shopping until he gets that trade that he wants. For sure. And it is so rare for a coach to just step down without a job lined up. We saw Rick Carlisle maybe step down from the Mavericks, although maybe that was mutual. But he had the Indiana Pacers job lined up. You know, we just don't see coaches quit jobs willy-nilly all the time. And, you know, I think some of that's Quinn is a unique person, but it wasn't a great situation and, and the writing was on the wall a little bit. Andy, there's a long history of conspiracy theory talk around the Utah Jazz, the food poisoning with Michael Jordan <laughs> in the finals. I'm wondering... Is that your favorite conspiracy theory just because of where you are? That's your home paper. That's your hometown, Salt Lake City. Do you have a favorite conspiracy theory in NBA history? Mine goes the other way that Dick Pavetta was paid off in the 98 finals. Oh! First of all, there's the push off, which we all know. Whether or not you agree Michael Jordan shoved Brian Russell is up for debate. But nevertheless, there were two flagrantly terrible 24-second violation calls in that game, Game 6 of the 98 Finals, mm -hmm. that cost the Jazz six points, cost the Jazz a victory. And as a young Utah growing up then, I was eight years old and heartbroken. <laughs> That's my conspiracy theory. That's a new one. That Dick Bavetta was on the take. It's a deep take, but yeah, deep cut. Is that like a commonly held conspiracy theory in Utah that's specifically Dick Bavetta? Yes, specifically Dick Bavetta. It's less that he was on the take and more 
before that the NBA wanted Michael Jordan to win right. and couldn't let the small market jazz do their thing. And the emissary of the NBA's will was Dick Pavetta. Right, and Dick Pavetta was refereeing that game. And he was the one that made those fateful calls or non-calls. Clearly, this happened. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys also notice that right before the finals, magically there's this report from Forbes that LeBron James is now worth a billion dollars right before the finals. How convenient (laughs) that that story was reported. They just calculated it up. They got their TI-83s out and they were like, you know what? Oh, wow. It's right now. It's right now before the finals. He's a billion. It's bigger than basketball, Tom. I like to believe he was at... 999,999,999 and then he bet like 20 bucks on something ridiculous like I bet you this light changes in the next 15 seconds and here's $20 like it's the last billion dollars and balloons and confetti fell from the ceiling and he's a billionaire finally and it happened just before the NBA finals how about that he wasn't even at work that's so nice can you imagine hitting a billion on your day off that'd be incredible that's lebron he's not a businessman he's a business man comma man yeah you know what i would do if that happened to me if i made a billion dollars on my day off we'd never see you again well that's one but before that i'd want to let the world know yeah i'd want to put it out there like you're dating veronica corningstone just (laughs) climb to the top of a mountain and shout it out i'm a is there a modern-day version of that, Maze? You don't have a mountain, I mean. What do you have? Well, LeBron doesn't have a podcast, so how could he tell everybody about he's a billionaire? Emergency episode of The Shop? Or maybe, maybe you just throw out like a bat signal to the universe that maybe I'll start my own podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I've got the idea. It's called Billions. I've got an axe to grind. And I'm LeBron James. These people who didn't think I could be a billionaire, do they want all the smoke? They can't handle it. I'm going to start my podcast. It's called All the Smoke. I've got an idea. What do billionaires do? They meet in the boardroom. You know what? His podcast is going to come in and bully ball every other show. Just take them on the block and just destroy them. Call it the low post. You know, he's going to start a podcast with Dwayne Wade and he's going to call it... The old man in the three. Or maybe, just maybe, he says, I'm through with all of you morons and idiots talking about basketball. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to expose you knuckleheads. Oh, you know what? I feel like he's going to call back because, you know, he always wants to do this. He calls back to those highlights that he has in his career, like the time that he dunked on Jason Terry. Ooh. Call it the Dunked On podcast. Or you could name it after his finest moment. In finals history, the chase down. All right, that's a good one. What about Tiago Splitter in the finals going up for a dunk? And what does LeBron say? No dunks. Blocks him, swats him away. See, I kind of feel like if LeBron were podcasting, people would really, really be paid a lot of attention to be zeroed in. You could say that they're locked on. Well, 
You know what he's not going to be calling it? Remember the time in the 2011 NBA Finals when he couldn't exploit the mismatch on J.J. Barea? He observed the podcast landscape and he just thought, you know what? This is the right time. Yo, I heard he really wants to be prolific. They're going to be talking about his podcast on ESPN Daily. And you know what? At the end of the day, he'll just settle on some other basketball analogy. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.